you so much uh, for that. The, mess, the music, again, has been a blessing today, and we thank the Lord for that. Mac Lynch wrote and did the music for that song, and uh, remember him singing that song very powerfully at Bible Conference many years ago. Uh, he was the music director at the Wilds in North Carolina for many years, and uh, that, that song has been an encouragement to me many times throughout the years. Psalm 119, Psalm 119, as we begin, I want to uh, just say a, a, a word of welcome to Thelma Schwenk and uh, her daughter, daughter Michelle, adopted, adopted daughter Michelle, uh, all the way over from uh, the thriving metropolis of Logansport, and uh, right here now in Lafayette. Oh, wow, wow. Well, I know a good church in the area. I know a, I know a really good church in the area. <laughs> But uh, anyway, um, pardon me for the commercial break, but uh, it's good to see Thelma. I was surprised to, to see her. She came down to Indianapolis many, many times to help us with standardized testing. And that was in the I-STEP and now I-LEARN days and the nightmares of standardized testing. But Thelma and um, Paula, uh, Thelma and Paula were a great blessing. They would come down. They were licensed to give the testing, and uh, we met, spent many hours in classrooms and uh, dealing with all of the logistics for standardized testing. And I am so thankful that those days are over. Ah, I don't miss those standardized testing days at all. But uh, anyway, it's good to see Thelma and Michelle here tonight. Psalm 119, and again, verse 65, this is another uh, stanza as we've been working our way through this great psalm, this uh, longest chapter in uh, all of uh, the Bible, 175 verses, and this psalm is entirely about the Word of God, the Mount Everest of the Bible, as uh, one uh, Bible scholar referred to it as. And uh, we have been working our way through this as part of our theme for the year 2023, confidence in the Bible, confidence in the Word of God. And uh, we have been blessed to uh, work through each of these stanzas, and I hope this has been an encouragement to you. We come to this stanza, and we see again the Hebrew letter Teth. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. It may have a little bit of uh, different spelling in, in your Bible. But again, in following the acronym, each stanza is an acronym with the, a letter of the Hebrew alphabet that is the starting letter for each verse of each stanza of that stanza. And so 22 stanzas, 22 letters of the alphabet, and the beginning letter for each verse of this stanza is the Hebrew letter Teth. Again, that doesn't transliterate or translate uh, that way into the English language, uh, though we do see a few of the verses beginning with the letter T. If there's any correspondence there, you will see uh, several verses do begin with the letter T, but I don't know if that is an exact correspondence. I'm not... Uh, well, well knowledgeable of, of Hebrew. I never took Hebrew in Bible college or seminary. There were some uh, guys that went on further in their education and took, took Hebrew, uh, but uh, I'm thankful for some good uh, Bible study help, strong, Strong's Concordance, and some of those other good study helps. <clears throat> but I don't know exactly how that translates over in each verse. But nevertheless, we see in this stanza, we see these themes particularly the theme of it being good for us to be afflicted. And so that is the title of tonight's message. It is good for us 
to be afflicted. And we'll look at a couple of other themes in the stanza, but that is the overarching theme that we will see in this stanza of this great psalm. But we begin with looking at, in the first couple of verses, this principle that believers need good discernment. Believers need good discernment. Look at verse 65. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. So as believers, we need to know God's goodness. God is good. God is holy. God is love. We can describe God's attributes. We sing of them. We often will have in our songs a a whole theme of our songs in the morning or evening service that are specifically about God's attributes. If I were to take hands tonight, we could probably go through and we would easily probably come up with 25 or more of God's attributes. We know in an intellectual way God's goodness. We can name attributes. But the psalmist is going further than that. The psalmist is taking us deeper than that. Do we know God's goodness? Have we experienced it in a relational way, in a way that we have been drawn near to the heart of God, where we have been even through trials and tribulations, afflictions and testings, and we have trusted God, we have depended upon God, and we have found Him faithful. We have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. We talk about all kinds of things that we would like to experience, that we would like to do, that we would like to enjoy or go places or watch something or whatever the case may be. I I rode a roller coaster this past week that I never thought I would ride. I was talking to somebody earlier today, and uh, Kelly rode that roller coaster with Chandler on Thursday, and I, I couldn't let Kelly outdo me. <laughs> so I took my drama mean Friday morning, and I rode that roller coaster. I hadn't ridden a roller coaster like that in probably 25 or 30 years. And I survived. I didn't get sick. I had a little bit of a headache. My neck was a little sore, but I survived. I made it. And uh, Chandler was going, woohoo! He was, he, was, he was excited. He was ready to get back on. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm not doing that again. <laughs> but there was an experience in riding on that roller coaster that some of us would say, I never want to experience that. For some, it was kind of the thrill of a lifetime. It was exciting. There was something exhilarating about that. We can talk about all kinds of different experiences. And unfortunately, in our culture... Unfortunately, in our culture, we are so entertainment-saturated and so desirous of the next experience that we are living for thrills and excitement and experiences of all various different kinds. And sadly, many times, the experiences that people desire are sinful experiences, lustful experiences that are actually condemning to the soul and that Take us away from God. The psalmist is saying in verse 65, Thou hast dealt well with thy servant. You have been good to me, even though I don't deserve it. We talked about that this morning. Even on our worst day, it is still better than what we deserve. 
And the psalmist knew God in such a way. God was so real to him, so true to him. He had such a vibrant and close relationship with God that when he said, Thou hast dealt dealt well with thy servant, he was speaking of knowing God's goodness. Having such a relationship with God that there was that intimate knowledge of God's goodness. And notice he says, as we see this pattern throughout the psalm, according unto thy word. Was it about some physical experience? Was it about some emotional experience? Was it about getting into the right ambience so that there could be some sort of open-mindedness or closed-mindedness or empty-mindedness so that we could be filled with the Spirit and feel His presence? Is that what the psalmist is talking about? We see a lot of that in our culture today. Getting the atmosphere just right and having the right ambience and having the, the right experience. We hear a lot about the experience of worship instead of understanding that worship comes from a relationship with God and a knowledge of God from the inside out instead of trying to get all of the atmosphere right so that then from the outside in we can have some sort of experience. That's not what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, I know that God is good. I have experienced that. I have tasted of the Lord. I have found that He is good. I know that He is good. There is a personal relationship, a deep understanding, a right knowledge of the Lord that has resulted in this exclamation of God's goodness. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant. And what does he point to? The word of God. My knowledge of God, my experience, if I can use that word in the right way with God, my relationship with God is according to God's word. So when Jeroboam, I sometimes get the names mixed up, Rehoboam was Solomon's son, who was the king in the southern kingdom. Jeroboam became the king in the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, when the kingdom split after Solomon. And Jeroboam decided, well, he didn't want the northern tribes to go to Jerusalem to worship. He was afraid that that would hinder his leadership, his governance, his authority in the kingdom. So he, in turn, made other places and in turn tried to synchronize the worship of God with the worship of idols. He tried to provide an alternative form of worship of the same God. And how did that turn out for the northern kingdom? It failed. It drew their hearts away from the one true God. Not only did it further split the kingdom, but it set the direction of the northern kingdom away from the Lord so that there was not a single king in the northern kingdom that is ever said to have done right In the eyes of the Lord, none of them. When he said, you're not going to worship down in Jerusalem the way the Bible says, the way the Old Testament law prescribes, 
When Jeroboam said, no, we're going to worship the same God, we're going to do it our way, he was actually substituting for the true worship of the true God. So we have to be so careful because much of what is considered worship and religion today that is in the broader spectrum of evangelicalism oftentimes is trying to worship the God of the Bible, at least in name, but a different way, man's way, and ultimately an idolatrous way. And ultimately it just tries to add Jesus on to their life as some sort of self-help or good luck or, as I sometimes say, a diet plan or an exercise regimen. We just add Jesus on and he becomes like a form of therapy for my life. Dangerous, dangerous stuff. That is not what the psalmist is saying. He is saying, I have seen that God is good. I know that God is, is good. He has dealt well with me as his servant. We see his humility we see him coming under the authority of God, and we see him knowing God, and his determination is according to the word of God. Not according to his own thinking, not according to man's psychological evaluations, not according to some man's psychological coping mechanisms, not according to some therapeutic idea or system, but God has dealt well with him. Because he has known God and he has served God and obeyed God and submitted to God according to God's word. And then going right along with that, that's going to breed good judgment and knowledge. Judgment meaning discernment, meaning choice or choices, making good choices. So knowing God, knowing him according to God's word, leads to verse 66 where the psalmist says, Teach me, instruct me, good judgment. Teach me good discernment. Help me to make good choices. Teach me good judgment and knowledge. So let's think about this for a minute. Knowledge is having, yes, the right facts, the truth, but then being able to take that truth and being able to exercise that with good discernment to make good choices. Years ago, we went through, Kelly and I went through a parenting class. I was, I was teaching a parenting class, and we went through Growing Kids God's Way. I forget the, the author of that book. And there was a series that we went through, and we did a series of classes. And one of the things I appreciated in that series is what he said about having, in a sense, like a warehouse. And there are all kinds of boxes on the shelf. And we have, in our children's lives, if we're raising our kids, and this is true for the Christian life, we put on the shelf of our life, on the warehouse, we put on the shelf all the different good things, the principles, the commands, the promises of God, of, of God's word. We understand the, the creation story, redemption, or creation fall, redemption, 
Or if you want to use the answers in Genesis, uh, the, the seven seas of history, you, you understand you put all of that and you have that right knowledge. And we, and we are thankful for Bible memory and learning Bible doctrine. We're, we're doing that with our children's program, with our Sunday school classes. We're doing that in so many different ways. But having all of these boxes on the shelf, all these good facts but being able to then order our lives with good discernment so that when we are presented with a temptation, when we face an obstacle, when we have to make a choice, we are able to look at the principles, the commands, the promises of God's word. We're able to look at, in a sense, those boxes and we're able to choose the right one and to apply it in that situation. That's essentially, it may be not the best illustration, but it is essentially what the psalmist is saying here, he's saying, teach me good judgment and knowledge. I want to know the right facts. I want to know the truth. And then I want to be able to take those truths and I want to be able to apply them. I want to live them out. We talk about knowing, believing, or being, and then doing. And so many times we are really good on the knowing. We have the Bible trivia. We have a lot of the facts and we need that. Isn't it sad today when people don't know the basic Bible stories? They don't know who Noah is. Never heard of Moses. Some of the things that people don't know. Have you ever watched some of these game shows like Jeopardy? And there's a whole Bible category. And the other however many categories, I can't get a single answer right. But that Bible category, I get them all right. And they're not even that hard. And there's people there who are winning thousands of dollars and they can't get a single one of those Bible questions right and their basic Bible knowledge. We need to know the facts. We need to. We need to have those boxes, in a sense, on the shelf of our life. But it's not just knowing, it's believing and being. Taking and assimilating those, digesting those. Thy words were found and I did eat them. Jesus talked about his body and eating of his body and the idea of metaphorically making his truth a part of our life, the believing, the being, knowing, believing, salvation, of course, included with that, being, sanctification, and then doing, living it out. We've known people who are very knowledgeable about a particular subject. They might even know a lot about a particular trade, a particular skill, but when it comes to actually doing it, they don't have a clue. They may know all of the basics, all the facts, I should say, all the knowledge about sewing, but they wouldn't have a clue how to put a needle and thread and run a sewing machine. They might know all of the facts about a particular skill, fishing or whatever, and have no clue how to actually cast a fishing line or much less catch a fish. We can go on and on with the illustrations. We've been around people like that, know a lot of facts, but can't put it into practice. And we've met people who have a lot of brains, but they have no common sense, right? You ever met somebody who is brilliant, but they have no common sense? We, we joke about that sometimes. Their, their head is so above the clouds, they can't see the, the shoes to be able to tie them uh, on their feet, right? Um, we've met people like that. But the point is here that the psalmist is saying he wants to have good knowledge, yes, but good knowledge with judgment, good discernment. So he's making good choices 
that he's applying the truths, the principles, the commands, the promises in those times of choice, of temptation, or whatever the case may be, so that he pleases the Lord with his thoughts, with his words, with his actions. That he does not do things, or say things, or think things that displease the Lord. Spurgeon, in his commentary on the Psalms, Treasury of David, he said, A sight of our errors and a sense of our ignorance should make us teachable. Think about that for a minute. A sight of our errors and a sense of our ignorance should make us teachable. Sometimes we get proud about the facts. We get self-confident, overconfident, and we have the facts, but we're not very good at the believing and the being. And if we are a believer and a beer, it eventually will translate into a doer. But many times we have the facts, but we don't believe them. We don't let it become part of our life. We're not a beer. It's not a part of our being. And therefore we don't do like we should. And it's because of our own pride many times. It gets in our way. And we want to say, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that, I know that. And we've been around people like that as well. Yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. And you're trying to instruct them. You're trying to help them. You're trying to teach. You're trying to show them. You're trying to say, hey, if you don't listen, you're going to make this mistake. You're going to blow it. You're going to break this. You're going to do this wrong. You're going to cost all kinds of money or whatever the the consequences might be. And they're saying, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we act like that with God. Oh, yeah, 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 I know. The Bible says that, but it doesn't really apply to me. Uh, and then we make, we make ourselves exceptions. Oh, that's your interpretation. Oh, yeah, but I know a good Christian who gets away with that all the time and it doesn't affect him. Right? We make all those excuses. We know, but we don't believe and we're not being. And it results in bad choices, wrong actions. And ultimately, when we get to heaven, we just sang a song, may the Lord find us faithful. If we're not faithful in the little things... We're not going to reap the rewards, nor be faithful in the bigger things. And we're definitely not going to hear, well done, now good and faithful servant. We're going to be held into account for our stewardship. The psalmist wants to make good decisions. Decisions that please the Lord. He wants to have good discernment. And he's not self-confident. He's not overconfident. He sees his own sinfulness. He sees his own spiritual ignorance. He sees his own weakness of his flesh and he wants to be teachable he wants to learn from the lord and apply those truths in good wisdom as we read in the book of proverbs about the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge the beginning of wisdom and we hear we read and we know and we understand a lot about wisdom from the book of proverbs and it's taking that knowledge and it's applying it living it out practically applying those principles those promises and those commands of scripture as we grow in our discernment, in our knowledge, in our judgments, then we are not little children, immature, who are tossed about with every wind of doctrine. One of the reasons we want discernment, we want good knowledge and judgment, is so that we are not pulled away and deceived by error. We recognize error. We see it for what it is. We call it for what it is. And then we're not led astray by it. We're not tossed to and fro as little children, by every wind of doctrine, as we read in the book of Ephesians. We, 
I know I say it. I know I say it a lot. It came up again a little bit. I think at lunch today. But there's there's these denominations that are fracturing, and and they're fracturing now over all of the LGBT and the sexual sins. And and I'm I'm thankful that there are churches that are finally saying enough is enough. But again, I go back to where were they 50, 60, 70 years ago when the authority of God's word was being undermined, when clear doctrines very clearly taught in scripture were set aside and said, well, the the Bible is true when it comes to matters of religion, but not so much when it comes to history and science and math. The Bible might have mistakes in some of the numbers and the civilizations and the timing, but it's true when it comes to the spiritual principles. Many of those churches and those denominations that were undermining the authority of God's word 50, 60 years ago are having the problem right now making discerning decisions about sexual sins. And they're splitting and fracturing and splintering into I don't know how many different kinds of groups and denominations. Many times we see it in our own lives. A little compromise here, a little compromise there. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, I can do this. I can get away. And then before long, it creeps into what was a toehold, becomes a stronghold, becomes a stranglehold, and eventually suffocates us. We read in 1 Thessalonians 5, in verse 21, that word to abhor that which is evil, to cling to or to cleave to that which is good. Avoid every appearance of evil. Every time evil manifests itself, we ought to have enough discernment that when evil makes an appearance, we recognize and we say, yeah, that's sin, that's evil, and we avoid it. Think about it for a minute, the difference between a bee and a fly. A bee is drawn to sweet, to pretty, to the nectar, to the pollen, and to nat rumba and to all of that that goes with, with honey, right? Sweet. And so a bee is drawn to that which is beautiful, pretty, sweet, nourishes, helps with all the pollination process and growth process and ecological cycle and all that. Think about a fly. Will a fly land on something sweet? Yeah, sure. You get out your summer cookout and all the foods and they're landing on even some of the good stuff. But what will a fly also land on? Trash, right? Garbage, the nastiest, dirtiest, smelliest stuff. And how many times do we find Christians with that kind of behavior? Instead of being like bees and choosing what is good and what is holy, and as Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever is a virtue, praise, think on these things. And he has the list there in Philippians 4, 8. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do those things once in a while. We'll think on those things once in a while. We'll, we'll go there once in a while. And yeah, we'll choose many times the good, which sometimes is the greatest enemy of the best. I know sometimes I get in trouble as a preacher because I, I try to preach God's ideal. And I'm not perfect at keeping God's ideal in my own life. When I point a finger out here, I have eight. If I point two, I have eight pointed back at me. All right? But... I, I want to hold forth God's ideal. I want to hold forth God's best. I've told young people for many years, why do we choose the lesser? 
when God wants what is best and God has declared what is best and we shortcut God's greatest honor and blessings in our life because, oh, well, it's good enough instead of wanting what is God's best. And God does allow and God does overcome and God does overrule. And when we sin, we are thankful for confession and forgiveness and God's overruling and God's overcoming. But so many times we shortchange, again, God's honor and God's blessing in our life because we choose the lesser when we have God's ideal, God's best for us, that he wants for us. And a fly will land on the watermelon, the cookies, whatever the desserts are. But how many Christians are like the fly that will also go right to the garbage, to the stinky, smelly stuff, and land there and gorge themselves with the garbage of the world? When a bee, we should be more like the bee and go to the nectar of God's word and the nectar of God's goodness and God's blessing and what God has declared in his word is right, is true, is righteous, is holy. We need to be more like the bee and exercise good discernment. And then we see in the next section here, and we'll jump and skip a little bit in this, but affliction can be good for us. You've often heard it said we should learn from our circumstances and become better instead of bitter. How many times do we exercise and we have different sports that we play and we practice over and over and over and over? Chandler's probably hit 10,000 baseballs through the years or more, over and over, pitch after pitch after pitch after pitch, bucket after bucket after bucket of balls. Some of you as golfers, you know what that's like, or as whatever uh, it is that you, you enjoy. You do it over and over and over, and you get better at it. It used to be what, practice makes perfect? We all know that practice doesn't make perfect, right? Practice makes us what, better, <laughs> right? Maybe not perfect, um, practice makes us weary, <laughs> no. uh, but practice is good for us. That repetition is good for us, and we often need that repetition. We, we see that in education, we see it in sports. But notice again in verse 67 in this psalm, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Isn't it interesting? He talks about discernment, and then he talks about being afflicted. He, he's saying, I've had some affliction in my life. What is this affliction? Different scholars will say different things. It seems to be in, in, in verses 67 and then down uh, further, uh, verse 71 and 72, it, it, it seems that the psalmist, probably David here, is referring to a consequence of sin. I'm glad that I had that consequence. It taught me. And I'm thankful. I say it frequently. I'm thankful for every single spanking that I got, and I deserved more. But when I had a habit of lying as a little boy, I'm thankful I got whooped for lying. When I stole both at the store and at my elementary school, and I got caught, I got whooped. And I had to go back to the store with my dad and look up at that cashier and say, I am sorry. And my dad put the money on, and they looked at me, and I knew it was coming when we got back home. I'm thankful for those afflictions taught me to tell the truth and not steal. I can go on and on. I'm thankful for mom and dad who sought to raise us up and then nurture the admonition of the Lord. I'm thankful for those afflictions that have helped me, and I'm by far, I'm far from perfect, but I'm thankful for those afflictions that have helped me not go astray, 
And those times where I've thought about going astray and I remembered some of those afflictions and thinking ahead of those consequences and understanding that there is going to be a fruitlessness and there's going to be a reaping of that which we have sown. Is it possible that he's referring to a trial or tribulation? Sure, maybe an obstacle or an opponent. Whatever the case may be, he is saying, before I was afflicted, I went astray. When I didn't consider the consequences of my actions, before the trial or tribulation, I didn't have the faith, I didn't have the trust, I I wasn't considering my ways like I should. Before that obstacle or that opponent came into my life, I didn't have the spiritual muscle that I should have. We go to the gym, we go out and exercise, and there's resistance that builds the muscle. We need more spiritual muscle, don't we? We have a lot of fat and flabby Christians today, or so-called Christians. No spiritual muscle, no spiritual discipline, no exercise of spiritual disciplines. So there's no spiritual muscle. He's saying the affliction was good for me. It taught him God's statutes and to delight in God's word. I love the the hymn. I I should have forgot to look up the, the number in the hymn book. But one of my favorite hymns is Day by Day. And with each, with each passing moment, I won't, I won't quote it correctly, 144, we sing this from time to time, but it's, it's one of my favorites, and it speaks so much to the Christian life. Day by day and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here. Trusting in my Father's wise bestowment, I have no cause for worry or for fear. He whose heart is kind beyond all measure gives to each day, gives unto each day what he deems best. Lovingly, it's part of pain and pleasure, mingling toil with peace and rest. Every day the Lord himself is near me with a special mercy for each hour. All my cares he fain would bear and cheer me. He whose name is counselor and power. The protection of his child and treasure is a charge that on himself he laid. As thy days thy strength shall be in measure. This the pledge to me he made. Help me then in every tribulation. So to trust thy promises, O Lord, that I lose not faith, sweet consolation offered me within thy holy word. Help me, Lord, when toil and trouble meeting, ere to take us from a father's hand, one by one, the days, the moments fleeting, till I reach the promised land. What a beautiful hymn. I I love how the hymn writer puts that, and it speaks so much uh, to these truths here in Psalm 119. And we understand, again, from verse 68, that God is good and doeth good. Teach me thy statutes, even in the hard times, even in the challenges of life, the tribulations, the trials, even when we are being chastened as a result of the consequences of our sin, even when we're facing an obstacle, an opponent in our life, God is still good, and we can trust him, and he is working out his plan in our lives, as Romans 8, 28 and 29 reminds us that All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, that we might be conformed to the image of his Son, we read in verse 29. And we read in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 9 that God's strength is what sustains us in our times of weakness. And when I am weak, he is strong. I'm strong in the Lord, as we read there in 1 Corinthians 12. His grace is sufficient. 
Philippians chapter 3, where Paul wrote, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He talks about fighting a good fight and how he kept the faith. We read in Ephesians 6 about putting on the whole armor of God and being strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So many principles, so many truths that we can claim when affliction comes into our life, knowing that God is good, that he has a plan, that he is working out his will and conforming us to the image into the image of his son, building spiritual muscle, purging us of sin, pruning us, strengthening our faith, helping us, teaching us all through those afflictions. And then finally, we see that we must stay close to God and delight in his word. We come down to verse 69. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Notice what he says in verse 70. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Their heart is as fat as grease. We sometimes joke around about greasy people, right? You go into certain stores, <clears throat> Walmart maybe, in the middle of the night. You ever been to Walmart in the wee hours of the night or the wee hours of the morning? There are some greasy people in Walmart. Um, anyway, we won't go there. I won't go any further with that. I won't tell that story. We have a good Walmart story, but couple of good Walmart stories. But we talk about greasy people, people that are kind of gross, whatever the description might be. Is that what he's talking about here? He's talking about people who are fat on their sin, who are indulging in their sin. What do we do? We, 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 we're not health fanatics, but we strain our meat a lot. We, we buy a lot of turkey meat. We do some ground beef. Oftentimes, we strain our meat. You ever had chili where the whole top layer of the crock pot is an inch of grease? Just go to Taco Bell. You know what I'm talking about. Taco Bell, right? Okay. So, you know, you have, you have that grease on there, and it, it's, 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 it's a form of fat, and I don't know all the chemical components of that, but he's talking about how the unsaved are fat in their sin. Their life is indulged with sin. Now, again, I'm going to quote from Spurgeon's uh, Treasury of David, and I think he puts it so well. He said, Proud men grow fat through carnal luxuries, and this makes them prouder still. They riot in their prosperity and fill their hearts therewith till they become insensible effeminate and self-indulgent. A greasy heart is something horrible. It is a fatness which makes a man fatuous, a fatty degeneration of the heart which leads to feebleness and death. The fat in such men is killing the life in them. That's Spurgeon. I'm just quoting Spurgeon. That is some strong preaching right there. But I couldn't help but quote that because he explains this phrase so well and helping us understand that the wicked, their heart is as fat as grease. They're indulging in their sin. But where do we find our delight? In the law of God. In God's orders. In God's boundaries. Oh, we, oh, we live in a, a society that just wants freedom. Freedom. I get to do anything I want to do, whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. And don't you dare tell me I can't or you're a bigot or a phobe of some kind, right? That's not true freedom. 
True freedom is found in the boundaries that God has set for our life. And all of us in a married relationship understand boundaries. You go to your job, you have boundaries. We were at an amusement park last week that had boundaries. Any game that's worth anything has some sort of boundaries. Some sort of foul line or what's fair and what's foul or what's in play and what's not in play. But those who are wicked, their heart is as fat as grease. They just want to indulge themselves in whatever their heart and mind desires at any moment to whatever extreme. Flying home yesterday, I won't even say the phrase that I saw on somebody's t-shirt. Overall, we didn't see uh, a lot of those kinds of shirts, but there was one shirt I saw yesterday that was just absolutely disgusting. And it was right on a t-shirt for everybody to read. And it was an in-your-face kind of statement about sin. And it was a perverted statement that I had to cleanse my mind. I don't even like to think about. It's so disgusting. And it was right there on a t-shirt and it was in your face. Everybody deal with this kind of thing. That's the heart that's fat as grease. Indulgent and even celebrating some of the most disgusting and perverse kinds of sin. Spurgeon said it very well. I won't go any further. But we find our delight in God's law. We find our delight in God's word. We don't need all that slop of the world. We don't need all that self-indulgent, lustful, fleshly immersion of sin. We don't need that. We find delight in taking our Bibles and opening them up, getting into God's word, and telling others of the gospel, and encouraging others to live for the Lord, and sharing the truth, and iron sharpening iron, and provoking one to love and good works, and singing and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs one another to one another, encouraging one another and edifying one another in the Lord, we find our delight in God's law. And we see the contrast there in verse 70 between the world and the unsaved, whose heart is as fat as grease, indulging in their sin, and the contrast with those who delight in the law of God and find their true delight, their true satisfaction in God himself and in his word. So once again, in verse 71, it's good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. And then we close with verse 72. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Oh, wealth is everywhere. Get rich quick. All these different ways to become a millionaire or whatever. And there is a benefit, obviously, there is a way in which we need to provide for our families. There is a material benefit that God blesses us with. I'm not discounting all that. But we are warned that the love of money is the root of all evil. And that riches can take wings and fly away. And so we need to be careful. We need to, once again, we see that contrast between the indulgences of sin and delighting God's law, finding our satisfaction in God and his word, in seeing the value of the word of God. Psalm 1, in verse number 1, and actually down through verse 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth 
shall prosper. And then we close with Psalm 19. As we have worked our way through this psalm in a previous message some months ago, and we see the law of the Lord is perfect, the testimony of the Lord is sure, the statutes of the Lord are right, the command of the Lord is pure, the fear of the Lord is clean, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. We come down to Psalm 19 and verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. May we stay close to God and delight in his word, that we might exercise good discernment, understanding that even affliction can be good for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, for this powerful Stanza that teaches us so much about who you are and how we must delight in your law, find our satisfaction and our joy in the truth of God's word and knowing it and living it out, being obedient and being faithful, that one day we might hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Lord, may you find us faithful and obedient in fulfilling your will. On the day that you call us home, whether it be by death or to the rapture and the resurrection. Lord, may we be found faithful, we pray in Jesus' name.